0: Yeah. Oh. oh, something's missing, yeah? They said he wandered up a few days after the tsunami. What's his name? Um, they don't know. He hasn't said a word. He won't even smile. Hey, do you want to go to the water? You want to go out to the ocean and go swimming? No. They say the Lord works in mysterious ways. I say that's an understatement. Who would have thought that teaching a kid to surf would teach me that surfing isn't the most important thing in the world, and that something else is? Love, bigger than any tidal wave, more powerful than any fear. Father, we thank you that your love is bigger than any tidal wave, more powerful than any fear. In fact, your perfect love casts out all fear. So we can be honest and we can cry out and in that way find you. I pray that as we begin this new study and as we look at the Psalms that we would see you, we would see that love that is greater than any tidal weight and more powerful than any fear. And that we would invite others in to that love. We would take others by the hand. Father, I pray as we intro this time that you would have burning coals touch my lips, you would hide me in the cleft of the rock as we peek into the Psalms. I pray that you'd be lifted up you might draw each of us to you in a very life-changing way. We love you, Lord. We're expectant because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't seen the movie Soul Surfer, It's a film about surfer Bethany Hamilton. In 2003, Halloween morning, she was attacked by a shark and lost her left arm in that shark attack. The film, based on her book, focuses on the events surrounding the aftermath of her struggle to find healing. And a turning point in Bethany's healing was a missions trip to Thailand, where the tsunami of 2004 had just devastated that island. It was there that she discovered that the only thing bigger than a tidal wave, the only thing more powerful than fear, is love. And in her book, she makes it very clear that she means God's love. If you've either seen the film or read Bethany's book, you know how much Bethany struggled to get there, to get to a place where she could see that God's love is bigger than a tidal wave and more powerful than any fear. Bethany's struggle is understandable. Can you imagine at age 13 being horrifically attacked by a shark and having your life radically and permanently changed? I think our attraction to her story is because she is raw, she is real, she is authentic. She's very honest. Her story highlights the reality that life is filled with joy and sorrow. Sudden events that create a wave of emotion in our lives. Her experience reminds us that we are living souls. And we have ourselves waves of emotion in response to the events of life. But I think we're mostly drawn, or at least I am, to Bethany's story because it's not only honest, but it's very hopeful, is it not? As Bethany faces the emotional turmoil of the shark attack... God enables her, somehow, his miraculous power, to find a way to eventually ride her emotions rather than be swallowed by them. Isn't that an incredible hope? Ironically, Bethany would say she became freer without an arm than she ever was with an arm. And because of this, she's been used by God to hold the hand of many who thought they could not surf the wave of their own emotion, and to show them that God's love is greater than any tidal wave, more powerful than any fear. As I poured over the, and studied the psalms these past couple of months, I believe Bethany's life is a psalm. It is a song to the Lord, very much like the psalms that we're going to study it's not just that it has the same title as our study that I, I robbed from her. So this is kind of my way of paying dues. The psalmists, of whom there are many different writers and over a thousand-year period of history, the psalmists are honest about the waves within our heart that are a response to life's realities the psalmist authentically, just like Brittany in her life, put into words what it means to experience high tide, low tide. What it means to experience being stoked and bummed out, right? Indisputable joy, unquestionable confusion, undeniable fear, understandable anger, unexplainable peace. They are all in the psalms. The psalmist hold back nothing. They are almost embarrassingly honest, Within poetry, especially in the Old Testament, you see almost an embarrassing honesty, particularly if you look at Song of Solomon, by the way. There is an embarrassing honesty within them. Yet, within that, the psalmists find a way to ride their emotions rather than be swallowed up by them. Because each psalmist within each psalm finds something bigger than their emotion, something greater than their fear, God's love. And what is so encouraging about the book of Psalms is the psalmist don't deny that we have emotions. I love that. I think in the church we do this. We say emotions are bad, deny that you have them. The psalmist is very clear, don't deny that you have emotions. The psalmist highlight the fact that we're living souls, that we're impacted daily by the things around us, that we're continually experiencing live surf within us, waves of emotion in response to our lives. There isn't an apology for this in the psalms. For they understand that the creator created them this way. We see that throughout the Psalms too. Father, you know, God, you know how I am made. So the psalmist began telling us and reminding us that we are living souls. And now it's interesting, as I did a study on the whole idea of being a living soul, I didn't realize it's what we are, it's not what we have. We are living souls. We don't have a living soul. That's what we are. It means we're tender, it means we're tenuous, it means we're fragile, any assault can impact us, even apathy can impact us and boredom. The Psalms are cries, they're questions, they're demands, they're shouts, they're praises in the context of real life. And they're here to remind us that God created us to be this way. It was his intent and it was his design. We know this from the very beginning of the creation account. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That's translated living soul. That's what made us alive. That's what we are. By breathing life into us, we became living souls. We don't just have a soul. We became alive. The 750 times the same word is used in the Old Testament, but get this over a hundred times just in the Psalms. So we take all the books of the Old Testament, there's an overwhelming majority of the word soul in the book of the Psalms. And this word is translated. Breathing, vitality, heart, appetite, lust, greed, pleasure, yearnings, spiritual yearnings, desire for justice and power, hate, exaltation, disquiet, unhappiness, joy, alive. Get it? It's everything that we are. We are a living soul, and every way that we respond is part of being that living soul. And we must not forget that it is God who chose to make us that way. We respond emotionally to life. We respond emotionally to our own life. And when we allow ourselves to be impacted, we respond emotionally to other people's lives, don't we? We can rejoice with them. We can sorrow with them. We can weep with others. I don't know if any of you during the break got a chance to see the um, motion picture um, uh, of um, Les Mis. And uh, if you have seen it, and I'm not recommending it because there's some pretty raw stuff in there that was not in the play. Um, Anne Hathaway plays the character of Fontaine, and she is surprisingly moves the hearts of the audience. I wept through her entire song. Even though her singing is not, she's not a virtuoso, like the whole Broadway scene was not real happy about the motion picture um, version because they didn't use Broadway virtuosos to sing the part. She moved audiences more than Broadway did. And what they found is, is that in Broadway, because they're, because they're singing to thousands, they can only use their voice to act. But on a motion picture like that, where you can do a close-up, you can see all of the emotion as Anne Hathaway sings the song, I Dreamed a Dream, which is a song about just her life being in utter despair. And because the director decided not to do voiceover, but to have her sing the song from beginning to end and act it out, people were more greatly impacted by this version than they ever were in the last 25 years on Broadway, to the surprise of everyone. She was raw and she was real. It was acting, but it was real, and it was raw, and it was authentic, very different, and so it grabbed hearts. This is the Psalms. The Psalms are poetic songs that touch and rekindle the heart. They're raw and they're real. They're not just simply instructing us. Don't you love it in God's Word that He has created a place where He doesn't just want to instruct us, but He wants to engage our emotion? It's a more indirect and a more intimate way than other forms of teaching to study the Psalms. Without it, there's less embarrassment. Yeah, because it's not so real and it's not so raw. We can be less embarrassed if we don't look at the poetry and scripture. But if we do, we're going to see dark and bright places. We're going to see the cruelty that can bring faithful people to a breaking point, And we're going to see the joys that cause people to be elated. The Psalms' bottom line remind us that we're alive but we also are alive in a way that God designed and desires us to be alive. He is not surprised by our emotions. He is not caught off guard when we become emotional about something. In fact, he partners with us. That's why he gave us the Psalms. He's giving us a way to work through our emotions, to acknowledge them, to not deny them, but to also be able to ride them in a way that is healthy for us and glorifies his name. He's given us the psalms through living souls, and therefore are living souls. Nearly half of the psalms are written by David, a man who experienced all kinds of life, if you, haven't, if you haven't met David in the pages of Scripture. David writes from caves in which he's hiding. He writes from battlefields in which he's victorious. He writes from bedrooms in which he is overridden with guilt. He has cries of anguish, and he has cries of exhilaration. Psalm 77, 3 through 4 says, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And yet, Psalm sixteen, eleven says, You make known to me the path of life, God. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. And there's everything in between in the Psalms. There's despair and there's elation and there's everything in between. John Calvin Writing in his commentary on the Psalms, he says, For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented in a mirror in the book of Psalms. All the griefs and sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the mind of men are wont to be agitated. You cannot create, come up with, define an emotion that you're not going to find in the book of Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms may actually give you words for some of the emotions you feel. Help clarify what you are experiencing. The Psalms have been collected by God's intent for worship. They were used as a part of worship. They were used in different feasts and festivals that the children of Israel celebrated. And they were used by Jesus and his disciples. They are quoted often. They were known. They were sung. There's some debate among commentators as to whether the book of Psalms is just supposed to instruct us as to how God's people worshipped, or whether it's to engage us in how life is real. And I think it's the latter. The Psalms are given us to see how God's people were told to worship and celebrate, but also for us to peek into their lives, peek into their family rooms, peek into their kitchens, peek into their bedrooms, peek into their workplaces, and see real people work out real life and see what their character is. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the Psalms, says, taken on its own terms, the Psalms is not so much a liturgical library storing up standard literature for worship requirements as, a, as it is a hospitable house well lived in, where most things can be found and borrowed after some searching and whose occupants have left on it everywhere the imprint of their experiences and the stamp of their character. The Psalms are walking into people's inner lives and finding ourselves. Don't miss this, ladies. Don't miss this through this semester. The Psalms not only give us permission to have an emotional response to life, But the psalms ask us to refuse to deny that fact. To refuse to deny that we are living souls. And to refuse to deny that life itself creates waves within us. Live surf. Isn't it true that life is full of live surf? Would you not say? Live surf responses. We have within our hearts thrills and terrifying emotions. And the psalmists are honest about the fact that life is messy, and they cannot help but respond and cry out because they are a living soul. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, so insightful. I love the book Spiritual Depression, which is based on the Psalms, if you wanna do any extra reading. And he says, they talk to themselves and to their souls, Bearing their hearts, analyzing their problems, chiding and encouraging themselves. Sometimes they're elated and at other times depressed, but they are always honest with themselves. That is why they are of such real value to us if we are also if also are honest with ourselves. The Psalms will impact you at the level in which you're willing to be honest with yourself and then they will teach you how to talk to yourself. Ladies, we talk to ourselves all day long, do we not? Many of you, just like me, will talk to yourself all afternoon about what an idiot you are for something you said or did this morning, agreed? The psalmist is gonna teach you how to talk to yourself in a way that helps you be self-forgetful and God-focused and releases you of yourself. Anybody wanna be released of yourself? I would really like a vacation from me. It would be really, really nice the psalms are emotional yet able the psalmists are, are emotional yet they're able to ride their emotions to the shore of peace. Amen. Anybody want that? How do they do this? They look at the tsunami of God's love that is bigger and more powerful than their feelings and their emotions. They do not deny their emotions, but they subject them, they surrender them to something bigger. I love the way the psalmist does this. We don't deny it, but we also don't indulge it to the detriment of our self and everyone around us. Listen to Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Listen to how the psalmist talks to themselves. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. This is what we need to be saying to ourselves on the way home today. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Those are victories and stories of God's faithfulness in those places. The Psalms reveal that we were created to address our emotions by talking them through with the one who gave them to us. And that's part of the problem. We feel emotional. We think God is embarrassed by that or bugged by it or ticked off by it. And so we shut him out when the very person we are supposed to be taking our emotions to is him. He wants us to pray through our fears and pray through our tears and pray through our joys and pray through our apathy and everything in between. He desires us to have an emotional conversation with him. He is the living God. But he wants that emotional conversation to focus on deep truth. We're going to see this in the Psalms. There's deep truth in every one of them. Deep truth is the only way we will ride our emotions to shore and find peace You know, I used to think the Psalms were the book that you kicked up your feet and had a cup of tea with. Anybody with me? Like the Psalms is just kind of where you peruse and you just kind of enjoy and you just kind of, you just actually can almost check your brain and you can just enjoy God and just, you know, enjoy reading, poetry. So not true. So inaccurate. So incomplete. The Psalmists make us think because emotion without thinking will never change us, but thinking without emotion will never change us either. Have you known that? Have you seen that in your own life? You can have a great intellectual idea of who God is, but if it doesn't touch your heart, it doesn't change your behavior. Same way as you can have an emotional experience with God, but it's not based on truth. You walk out the door and you're the same old person falling into the same old crud. Amen? You guys with me? Anybody else? Don't leave me here hanging alone. (laughs) We are intended to change the only way possible, and that is engaging the mind and the emotion. So for some of you, this is gonna be a stretch to engage your emotion. For some of you, it's gonna be a stretch to engage your mind, but we have each other. And I'll get to that in a minute. The Psalms reveal that the only way to maturity is to neither deny our emotions nor be controlled by them. To ride the waves of emotion by submitting them to the truth of God's love revealed in his scriptures. The psalmist always goes back to the acts of God. The psalmist continually looks back to the exodus of when God freed his people from bondage. The psalmist looks to the prophets and what God did with the lives of the prophets. You'll see it in every psalm. The psalmist will go back and recount a story. But they recount a story because under it is a truth of who God is. Now, I don't have to get you excited about a story. I mean, if I were to stop teaching and just tell you a story, I would engage many more of you. It's okay. I'm over it. But what we don't do with stories is, especially people's testimonies and the stories in the scripture often, is we don't look to God's character within them. We're satisfied with the story. We're satisfied with the emotion of going, wow, that's cool, and not go to who God is behind it to what will really change us. Listen to how Jones puts this. There are some people who are only interested in the illustrations, in the stories, but if we are not careful to extract the principles which are illustrated by the stories, we shall probably end by aggravating our own condition. And though there is a great profit to be gained by looking at examples and illustrations, it is very vital that we should take the teaching first. There are many people who seem to be in trouble because they are more or less living on other people's experiences. And it's because they are always looking at persons and their stories instead of first grasping the teaching that they so often badly go astray. So we get excited when we hear a story, and then we go out and we fail. And we're like, wait a minute, that just aggravated me. That story made me so excited that God can do X, Y, and Z. And so I go out and try to live it, and it didn't happen for me. Well, because you didn't go to who God is behind the story. And grab the teaching before the illustration. The Psalms are filled with stories of God's faithfulness. And the psalmist goes back to them. But he does it to be, re, to be relived again today. They are analogies to what God's people experience, I can experience also, and that a continuing work. Parting the Red Sea is a great example of this. The psalmist talks a lot about God parting the waters, and he's talking about the Red Sea. It's a great illustration of how God frees us from bondage. We can apply that as an analogy in our lives. God can free us from sin and bondage. It's not only an analogy of what he can do today, but it's a continuing work of what he's done. So when the psalmist remembers, the psalmist isn't just remembering, oh yeah, God did that, isn't he great? God did that to continue to work in me. God took me out of Egypt to take me to a land where I could be his. And so when we look at these stories, we not only need to see them as analogies in our life, but as God ongoing wanting to continue to work in our life. And that's what the psalmist does. Philip Graham, in the introduction of our study, says, the psalms help us to choose and then to live our choice. The Psalms give us a complete overview of God's character. We learn what God loves and what he hates and what he desires and what he demands and what he does and plans to do. It's a new song that he wants to put in our heart. At getting to be in Israel, over the over the break, I got a chance to go to Israel for 10 days to be prepared to lead the tour in June. And one of the continuing themes of the entire tour, um, study tour, was remember, remember. Remember. God's people are big on remembering. If you look at the scriptures, there's a constant call. Remember, remember, remember. In fact, we can see in the book of Judges that God's people fell away from him because they forgot to keep telling each other who God is. And so remember is huge in Israel today. And the Psalms are poetic songs to remember who he is. And they're set to music because what happens when a song gets stuck? Ah, ah, ah. That's intentional. They are songs. But what's really important and kind of the bottom line of what I want to get to today, too, for us is, is to look at how the psalmists remember. They remember by talking to each other, not just talking to themselves, but talking to each other. They tell each other who God is and what he can do. It's interesting, if you look at the psalms, even the ones that begin with, I, 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 I cry out to you, Lord, I do that, at the end says, oh, Israel, praise him. Let us come into a sanctuary. So even when a psalm begins with I, even David's confession, he then says, I will teach your ways. Everything that begins with me is intended for corporate. And I think that's huge in the psalms. We see them as very personal, but we must not forget that we are a community. And the way we remember, the way we remember who God is, the way we help each other ride the ways of our emotion is to talk to each other about who God is to grab that hand and place each other on the board of his word Psalm 131 2 through 3 says but i have calmed and quieted my soul like a wean child with its mother like a wean child is my soul within me o israel hope in the lord from this time forth forevermore Every work God does in our hearts is intended for us to share and strengthen. There's a phrase in Israel, and I will spare you the Hebrew because it'll just sound like I'm clearing my throat and it'll be totally wrong. Um, but it says, be strong, be strong, and we'll all be strong. Isn't that beautiful? It's just, Press in, be strong in the Lord. You be strong in the Lord. You be strong in the Lord, and you will strengthen all of us. We are lively surfers, and we, if to be lively surfers, we need each other. There's a togetherness and a transformation that are dependent upon each other. And we see it in the Psalms, and it's my heart's desire, and I know the desire of your leaders for this uh, study. Community is huge. I wish I could think of a better word than huge, but it's kind of my fave. We need each other to remember. We need each other to become lively surfers that can get on that board of God's truth and ride the ways of our emotions. Alone, we don't remember well. Have you ever been in a situation where you're telling the story of something that happened and you tell one version and that somebody goes, Well, don't you remember? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-and you're like, I totally forgot that detail. Do we, even in practical life, do we remember everything well? Do we not need each other? Is not that why God gave us four gospels from four different accounts so we could see the whole picture? We need each other to remember well. Otherwise, guess what we do, ladies? We remember what we want to remember. We take and pick what we want to apply. We search the scriptures for the verse that we think applies to us. And we need each other to get the whole counsel of God's word or else we will remember only what suits us, and we will not be transformed. The Psalmist, um, Psalm 119 says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your requests. Will we be companions of those who fear him? That's huge in being able to ride the emotions within our soul successfully and into, and into peace. I love also in one of the Psalms it says, I delight in faithful ones. I delight to be with your faithful ones least Fitzpatrick, very bluntly and kind of hits me square in the face, says this, God has placed us in a family because we don't grow very well on our own. Maturity in Christ does not occur because we attend Bible studies. Ouch. Maturity in Christ occurs when, by the Spirit and in God's grace, our brothers and sisters take biblical truth and apply it lovingly, patiently, boldly to our hearts. If I had a theme quote, apart from scripture, that would be this study. Oh, ladies, may we not just come and get more information. There will not be transformation, and you will be swallowed by the ways of your emotion. We need each other to apply lovingly, patiently, and boldly to our hearts the truth. To be transformed, to have God's word applied to our hearts by others, will require that we be authentic, No one can apply it to us. No one can grab our hand and take us out and help us serve if they don't know we're hurting. We need to be authentic and real and honest about our apathy, about our fears, about our joys, all of it, where we're struggling, our doubts, our questions. This is a safe place to say, I don't get it. We don't all have it together. We have totally different levels here of people who know God's word. If you have no idea where Genesis is or any other book in the Bible, you are safe here. And if you know everything about the Bible, you are safe here too. But I hope you'll be humble. And help her show, show her where Genesis is. Yeah. <laughs> Sweetly. Because we've all been there. Will we be real about the fact that we're living souls? Will we be real about the fact that our, our hearts are tender and tenuous? That we're fragile? I have a friend who keeps telling me, you're fragile. And I'm like, no, yeah. We're not only fragile, but we're messy. Amen? I think that's the theme of sister sister in general. Messy women coming together around God's word. Amen? We want to be authentic. We want to let others see the real us and allow them to speak into our life. They can't speak into our life if they don't see the real us. To see ourselves as we really are is a gift that is unique to the body of Christ. To have the opportunity to see ourselves as we really are is a gift that is unique to the body of Christ. And it comes when we are authentic and we invite people to tell us what they see. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones again says, If we but had the power to see ourselves as others see us, it would oftentimes be the main step to victory and release. Oh, do we need each other. The scripture is filled with the reality that we need each other. Authentic is also gently, humbly applying God's truth to other people's lives, not being afraid, but checking our own spirit humbly letting people be emotional, don't be freaked out by it, it's okay, but then helping them grab their hand gently. Do you notice how gently she took him out to the water? What a beautiful picture. How much more we would all open up if people were gentle with us, if they would let us know they really cared and they handled our hearts carefully. Our individual study of God's word, as you open up this study at home, your individual study is prep for your corporate study. Yes, it's great that you get to press in alone with the Lord. And there are certain times where the body of Christ isn't what you need. You need to be alone with him. But for here, for sister to sister, your alone time is prep for what's going to happen corporately. When we come together, we should be expectant. This room is filled with women who have the spirit of God alive in them. Don't miss that. Don't miss getting to see more of who God is because you get to see him in other people's lives. Now, I don't want to freak you out. This study is not emotional. The way Kathleen writes a study, it's not emotional. She's not going to, you know, do a bunch of emotional questions to try to get you to cry. And when you come here, we're not going to all have a cry fest. But it, I want it to be safe, because if you let God's word—if you not only read God's word, but if you let God's word read you—you you will have an emotional response. And that's why we gave you the journals, is so that you could write out your thinking and your thoughts and find a way to ride them in a way that brings peace. In fact, the first week of the study is kind of technical, a little bit dry and a teeny bit long. Hang in there. It's good background for you to understand the Psalms. The rest of the weeks are a little shorter and have a little bit more personal application in them. So hang in there and jump in, because remember, we need the board of truth. And that's an important way that she sets the study up. But authenticity around truth and community, we will sense and know God's reality. Be expectant when you come here. In fact, prepare yourself Wednesday night. Be expectant. We are all gathering in the same room in small groups and then together corporately to sing his praises, which he says he inhabits, and to hear his word together, which something happens that doesn't happen on a CD. Now, that can sound totally self-promoting that I'm asking you not to skip the teaching time. It's not about me. If it were about me and I was giving you some information about whatever, teaching you about how to cook, I'd say, sleep, don't come, stay at home. But it's God's word. And something happens when we're corporately around God's word together. God shows up in a very special way when we gather in his name. And there's growth and there's transformation. We need each other. Togetherness and transformation are dependent upon each other. Have you ever noticed that when you enjoy a friend and you think you've really gotten to know her, then you are with her with another friend, you see a whole different side of her? Like, I'm this way with my husband. I kind of like double dating with him because after 25 years, I think I know it all. And then I see him with somebody else and I think, oh, I didn't know that about you. I didn't ever see that side of you. Have you noticed that? How much more with God? How much more is our view of God small if we do not see him through each other's eyes? How much more will we enjoy him as we get to see him through one another. So I'm gonna ask you to make it a priority to be in your small group. Even if you haven't done the lesson, come anyway and see what God's gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to make it a priority to be in here and worship. Have an expression for that, let it touch your soul. And I'm gonna encourage you to to schedule around Thursdays in any way that you can, because life is filled with lively surf within us in response to life. And here we have an opportunity to experience something that will, that will reap sevenfold the rest of our week. We need each other. When I was in Israel, I was really ambushed by God. Um, we had the beginning of the study, the beginning of the study tour was the wilderness and kind of the Old Testament and where the Israelites wandered. And then we got to Galilee, where Jesus performed 90% of his miracles. And we were sitting up on a hill, and you could see all of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee and the whole region and this one-mile triangle where Jesus, again, performed 90% of his miracles, called his disciples, walked on the water, you know. And I'm up there, and I'm just weeping. And the next day at breakfast, I was sharing with some of the guys on the trip with a bunch of youth pastors. I said, you know, it's kind of discouraged that I didn't really feel anything until like day five. You know, I came to Israel, I expected to feel something. And I wanted emotion. And uh, he looked at me and he said, we were in the wilderness. We were where people were wandering. We were before Jesus. Maybe God wanted to show you what life was like before him, which is the promise of him. And I just thought, oh man, do I need the community? I mean, that was just like, that made the whole first four days richer. And this isn't even somebody I know. So even being with believers that we don't even know, we get to see more of who our God is. Don't miss the opportunity. The study of the Psalms, singing, hearing, them taught together, promises to transform our perspective on ourselves and on the world if we are committed to be authentic and to schedule around it. I love what one of our leaders says. She said, this semester I hope we strip away our, authentic, our um, artificiality, our superficiality. I hope we strip away our superficiality. And so I asked her, can I quote you? And she kind of looked at me. I don't know if I want you to quote me. I said, what if I don't use your name? She goes, that's good. I don't want to be held accountable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, but that's our heart. Let's strip away superficiality. Now, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy each other and be whimsical and lighthearted. I don't think it has to be like a total deep fest. But I do think let's, let's, let's talk about what matters. You know, let's, let's be real. Let's be not be superficial. But that means we'll also have to be accepting. Part of the reason people aren't authentic is because they've never been accepted. If you have women in your group who are quiet and don't share, don't assume they're superficial. They may never have been invited to share their heart. And if we can be an accepting community, we will help others be able to be honest about their lives. God is asking us, are we going to be safe? Are we going to be gracious? Are we going to be prayerful? Are we going to be confidential? Are we people going to be safe with us? Will we use our sunny weather reports to ask him how we can minister to someone who's on a rainy weather report? When I was in Israel, I was having just a great time and kind of being able to just enjoy and listen and, and just take in God and it was kind of away from some of my other responsibilities. And I just was struck with, oh Lord, who do I need to be praying for right now? I don't want to use this time just for me. What's going on in your body at home? And who can I pray for? And he laid on my heart to pray for a friend. And I got heavier and heavier and heavier. So I sent her off an email and she sent back, you have no idea how swallowed I was by the waves. And to know that God would speak to you 10,000 miles away and have you pray for me, I have a, I have a board to ride those waves. So will we use even the, some of us are not in hard places. Some of us are in great places of blessing. Will we use that and ask God, how do you want to use that for your glory? How can I minister to others? How can I pray for others and encourage them so we will, be, will we be authentic? Will we be accepting? Will we create an environment where people can share? And the psalmists are going to teach us then how to assure them. Because, you know, we can give people our emotion, we can give people our sympathy, we can give people our attention, and they can still never know how to ride the waves of their emotion. We need to help each other be assured that God's love is greater than any tidal wave and more powerful than any fear. So we will need to grab the board of God's truth and apply it to each other's lives. If we will learn just how great, and then together we can learn how much greater God's love is. C.S. Lewis says about the psalmist, These poets knew far less reasons than we for loving God. They did not know that he offered them eternal joy, still less that he would die to win it for them. The psalmist took each other by the hand. They gave them the board of truth to ride their emotions, and yet they did not know what we know. How much more should we be able to do that for one another? We have the Spirit of God within us, and we, I look back to the cross. See, the psalms point to Jesus specifically, in at least 15 of them. But also, get this, ladies, each psalm comes from real life in which Jesus experienced. There is no experience you are experiencing, no emotion in which you have felt within you that Jesus has not, did not experience. As the incarnate God, he lived that perfect life. He was a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And in doing that, he experienced not only every emotion, but in a greater context and at a deeper level than we can imagine. And he did this to still the waters of judgment for those who will trust in his sacrifice on the cross. Because of Jesus, we can say with more confidence and we can encourage each other with more confidence than the psalmist, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. I think one of the things I don't want you to miss from the clip I showed you and why I showed it to you, Bethany did not coax the little boy into the water. She coaxed the little boy onto the board. She knew he couldn't go into the water. The Psalms are not trying to get us to jump into our emotions as much as to learn how to ride them and let them be used for God's glory. When we are going to assure one another, as we're going to bless each other, as we're going to look at the psalmist, as Thomas is going to show us how to help others be on that board of truth, the gospel who Jesus is. Jesus allowed himself to face the ultimate wave of emotion, total despair. He allowed himself to be shut out from God's presence as he became sin for us. By living the life we couldn't live, a perfect response, emotional response to everything. Can you imagine? I know my husband would love that. A perfect emotional response to everything. And dying the death we deserve from our sinful responses, he made certain that those who believe in him will never face a tsunami, we will never face total despair, separation from God. And because he rose again and because he lives, we never surf alone. He is the board on which we ride. He is also the hand on which we hold that will not let us go until we reach the shores of eternity. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Your way was through the sea, your path through great waters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. I know I thank you. I pray we all thank you for the book of Psalms, for poetry, for real, for honest. Thank you for a way to, to know and be affirmed that we are created to be emotional people, but also to not... to find a way to not give in to them in a way that's destructive to ourselves and to others. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are real and you are honest and you gave that to us. And we pray, I pray, Father, that as we jump into these Psalms, as we dive in, that they will be the board on which you enable us to ride the waves of emotion that are in response to life. May we see more of who you are. May we fall more in love with you, Father, for your perfect love casts out all fear. It is bigger than any tidal wave and more powerful than any fear because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.